Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Tuesday, August 16th. Coming up, we'll hear from Kansas City doctors on how the conversation around monkeypox is reviving old prejudices. The public health sector has done a really good job, actually, as they have kind of started speaking up more and more about this, at explaining that this is impacting this community, but it is certainly not just about this community. But first, some headlines. A Kansas City resident is suing the police department, claiming officers refused to investigate a break-in next door to his house and intimidated him for posting about it on social media. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. In his lawsuit, Daniel Fox says that officers told him they no longer respond to residential calls after former Detective Eric DeValconeer was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter in the 2019 killing of Cameron Lamb. A judge said DeValconeer did not have probable cause to enter onto Lamb's property. Fox says that after he tweeted about KCPD's inaction, he received an intimidating call from a police captain and a visit to his home by two officers. He said he was so unnerved that he deleted his post. Fox argues the department violated his First Amendment rights and wants the court to block the alleged policy of hands-off policing. In a statement, KCPD said it takes complaints about its members seriously. Kansas City has received a $5 million federal grant to study safety improvements to U.S. Highway 71. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports the highway disconnected predominantly black neighborhoods from downtown. Highway 71 spans six wide lanes, making it difficult or even dangerous for pedestrians to cross and get to a nearby store or place to eat. Kansas City will use a grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation to study safety improvements from 85th Street to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Mayor Quinton Lucas says this stretch is also a hotspot for car crashes. It's not just about getting somebody quickly through KC. For us, it's about saving lives and recognizing there are people crossing a day, and we have a duty to make it safer for them. The study is expected to take up to two years. The Kansas Department for Children and Families stopped compiling required annual reports on child sex abuse as allegations were rising. Blaise Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports the lapse lasted six years. The state should have compiled the number of sexual abuse allegations reported by abortion providers in Kansas. The department had the information, but only updated the report when the Topeka Capital Journal asked about it. The agency does not have an explanation. The lapse started in 2016 under Republican Governor Sam Brownback, and it continued under current Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. The new numbers showed sexual abuse allegations increased from 10 in 2018 to 56 most recently. On August 4th, the Biden administration declared monkeypox a national emergency, but the disease and its symptoms still aren't well known. Only a handful of cases have been found in Kansas and Missouri so far. KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke to two local experts, Professor Katie Batza of the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Department at the University of Kansas, and Dr. Dana Hawkinson at the KU Medical Center. Here's an excerpt of their conversation about how the disease has been developing and how you can protect yourself. Let's begin by with this. Who's primarily affected by monkeypox, Katie? Right now, the reported cases, over 95% of them are in men who have sex with men. So a lot of uh, bisexual, queer-identified individuals, um, as well as um, a small number of other folks as well. 
So one thing you wonder about is, has the government given monkeypox adequate attention here? What has been the response? You know, it's been a really frustrating response, honestly. This is a pretty easy stress test. We already had vaccines. We already had tests available. We already understood how the how the disease kind of worked. And at, at every single hurdle, we kind of fumbled the ball. Uh, and so it's been it's been quite frustrating here. I think that they the government has really been trying to kind of thread the needle of not overly stigmatizing this community, which is important. And yet they've done so at kind of the peril of the reality that mid-June we had less than 100 cases nationally, and now we're over 11,000. So Hmm. um, I think it's pretty frustrating for a lot of folks. Dr. Dana Hawkinson joins us now again. He's an infectious diseases professor at the KU Med Center. Do you agree that the government has fumbled the ball here, Dr. Hawkinson? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly uh, steps that could have been taken. Um, You know, just like we've heard, we went through the beginning of one pandemic two years ago, thought we could have been prepared. I think it is frustrating because of the knowledge that we do have vaccines available. We have treatments available testing is available. Um, I think there, there is a, a reasonable amount of, of frustration around that. And I think most importantly, it is getting those vaccines into the arms of people that are most at risk. Uh, we're all going back into the classroom here in, uh, in the next week or so. Should college campuses be thinking about some kind of vaccination uh, campaign to sort of nip this in the bud going forward? Well, I think we need to wait on, on certainly on some recommendations by you know the, the public health guiding bodies such as uh, the CDC and the. Uh, the but you, you don't want to wait too long practices. on that because classes start next Monday, doctor. But correct, we don't want to wait too long. But we know the vast majority of colleges have those plans in place. We know the University of Kansas and Lawrence has been in discussions with that as well, along with with, with their COVID. And I think we should also point out it's important uh, because we know the young people are going to be socializing, being close together. But I think it's important to understand also how this virus is not transmitted. And really, our best evidence, our best data support the fact that getting this virus is, a, is difficult. You need that close, intimate contact, that skin-to-skin contact. It's not going into a classroom. It's not shaking hands with somebody. It is by the close, intimate contact, um, not those other social interactions. And so I think we need to also tell people how it's not transmitted so they don't have to have that anxiety. But I'll always continue to support the fact that you also need to be doing good hand hygiene and washing your hands before doing things Mm -hmm. such as eating, shaking hands with people, doing it after, all things of that nature as well. Uh, Dr. Hawkinson, uh, if people are wondering about symptoms here and if you're contracting this disease, which no one wants to have, how would you know you're getting it? Well, you you do have typical symptoms of of other viral illnesses, such as fever, aches. You can have some cough. Uh, You can have lymphadenopathy, which is an enlargement of your lymph nodes. You know, particularly, um, you're going to be looking at those lymph nodes, maybe where you contracted the disease if it was due to -to skin-to-skin contact. Um, So you're talking about in your groin. Um, Other lymphadenopathy can be other areas, depending on, on how and where you contracted So you're going to have those swollen uh, lymph nodes. But then, of course, you're going to have these skin lesions. And this is what led it initially to being such difficult uh, diagnosis when it first came onto the scene this time is because you will have these lesions. They could look like little blisters. They could look like little pimples, um, just little areas in your skin that maybe weren't there. Over time, they will evolve into blisters. 
and then um, even an umbilicated form of a, uh, a type of blister, and that means there's an indention in the middle, they will eventually uh, rupture or, or start to drain and then scab over. So those are going to be the main symptoms. Uh, the one nice thing about this uh, infection that we understand so far is that you really are not contagious. You are really not spreading it to others unless you are having symptoms. And that is in direct contrast mm -hmm. to SARS-CoV-2, where right. you know you could be spreading that disease prior to having any symptoms whatsoever. So, so those are the main symptoms that someone would be looking for. But of course, it's going to be the skin lesions that are really going to tell the tale. How and where can people get tested and vaccinated then right now, Dr. Hawkinson? So the best thing to do right now for vaccination, um, we do have vaccine at the health system. Uh, we are offering it to our patients that are otherwise uh, who uh, self-describe themselves as high risk because right now that is who uh, should be getting the vaccine. The vaccine is allocated from Health and Human Services to the state health departments. From there, the state health departments will decide where the allocation goes, whether it's to larger health systems, whether it's to county health departments. So the best thing for you to do is to contact your primary care physician, who then should contact the county health department for further um, instructions on vaccination itself. Testing right now is done through uh, KDHE, but we also know they have, I guess, authorizations for private labs to do testing as well. You know, if you think or suspect, the best thing to do is to call your primary care physician for further instructions on what to do. Gotcha. You know, do you come into their office and get tested, things of that nature. You know, uh, Katie, uh, to what extent do you see similarities uh, between the responses, the one for AIDS uh, a number of years ago, and then this current one for monkeypox? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um you know, unfortunately, a little bit of the, the slow response is somewhat similar, although now it's it's picking up much faster. Uh, initially, it took um, six years for the president uh, to even say the word HIV AIDS out loud uh, wow. at the beginning of the AIDS pandemic. So this is a quite a different um, set of circumstances. That was but, President Reagan or the first President Bush? Uh, that was President Reagan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and by that time, more Americans had been infected than had been murdered uh, or killed in the Vietnam War. And so mm. uh, just to give us a little sense wow. of um, wow. the numbers. Yeah. So this is a much different situation. But I do think that there are some similarities. One of them is that the LGBTQ community is really concerned about how stigma is going to play out here. In the um, countries where this is already endemic, this isn't really associated with uh, the LGBTQ community. It's often uh, children. Um, and so, you know, I think hmm. that the public health um, sector has done a really good job, actually, as they have kind of started speaking up more and more about this. They've done a, a much better job at explaining that this is impacting this community, but it is certainly not just about this community. And it's nothing that we need to be like attacking this community for. It just happened to kind of crop up here. And so, um, you know, we all need to be kind of aware of monkeypox and um, and not stigmatize the entire community about it. That was Katie Batza and Dana Hawkinson of the University of Kansas speaking to KCUR's Steve Kraske. You can hear their entire conversation from up to date at kcur.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. 
This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org, where you can also find our live stream. If you like our show, you can help us out by telling your friends or by rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. Tomorrow, we'll hear from Afghan refugees who've made Kansas City their home for the past year. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Kansas City Today keeps our communities informed. So does KCUR's daily news email, The Early Bird. It delivers the top headlines of the day right to your inbox every weekday at 6 a.m. You can subscribe at kcur.org slash early bird.